0: You would. Let's go to Mark chapter fourteen. We should finish out Mark chapter fourteen this morning. I'll do pray for me. I'm still struggling with this cough. I, I know there's a lot bigger problems in life, but doing what I do, it can make things kind of difficult sometimes. Mark chapter fourteen, and I, I tell you we really when you get to this text, I know I've said this a lot lately, but I mean we have been in crucifixion week now since chapter 11, but we're really walking on some sacred ground this morning. And uh, by way of introduction, as I always point out, Mark looks at Jesus as the suffering servant. He's more concerned with his works than his words. It's uh, The book of Mark is constantly just getting to the point, moving from one event, one thing to another, to another. And... Um, last week, we saw the arrest and the mock trial, this kangaroo court of the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, uh, which is led by the high priest Caiaphas. And uh, Caiaphas plainly asked Jesus if he was Christ, the son of the blessed. And in, as I pointed out, that's the only time that term is used, son of the blessed. And the word blessed is capitalized. And what Caiaphas is doing is he's asking if Jesus is the Son of God without mentioning the name of Yahweh. He's so angered. He's so disturbed by the thought that anybody could claim to be the Son of Yahweh. He couldn't even bring himself to say his name. And so, of course, this is when Jesus answers plainly, I am. I mean, he made no doubt of no buts about it. And by the way, this is the first time that Jesus has done that. He's been asked this question and similar questions like it. And He's not just come out plainly and said it. There's been somewhat of a messianic secret. But every other time that Jesus was asked this type of question, He was surrounded by a crowd that if He had answered plainly yes, they would have taken Him and made Him a king. This is the first time that's not going to happen here. In fact, quite the opposite. He's going to be murdered for this claim. And had Jesus been lying... This would have been blasphemy. If somebody claims to be God and they're not God, that's blasphemy. But the thing was, He is God. Amen. And so He was telling the truth plainly. He responded with an unmistakable yes. Now, in the text that we're going to look at today, this is one of the saddest events to me in all of Scripture. We're talking about Peter's blatant denial of Christ. It's one of the lowest moments of anyone anywhere in Scripture. And yet it's in this... Situation that we find some of the most encouraging hope and forgiveness in all of the Bible. Uh, In no other text do we see a greater example of the Lord's heart of forgiveness than we do in this text. And one thing that I want to point out, I I kind of want to give you a lens even as we go through this. But uh, we were talking specifically in the Friday Night Bible study, uh, we're talking about knowing God and we're talking about having deep thoughts about God. But our thoughts about God have to be governed by an absolute standard where God reveals Himself. Or else, All we have is opinions. And yet another reason we know this is the Word of God, because if man had written this by himself of his own, some of these things would have never made it in here. And I have to point this out because this is really intriguing to me. But Mark wrote this gospel. Obviously, it's the gospel of Mark. But Mark was not one of the original disciples. As far as we know, he may have only seen Jesus one time as Mark was a young man. We we saw the young man that ran naked away from the arrest of Jesus. Most scholars believe that young man was Mark. But here's the thing. Mark was a very close associate of Peter. In fact, both the Scriptures and history tell us that Mark was Peter's amanuensis or his copyist. Peter would... Uh, give him things to copy and translate uh, into other languages, most specifically Greek. And so Mark is writing these things from first-hand account of Peter. And I thought to myself, can you imagine hearing Peter recite the denial of Christ? Wow. Like I tell you, if, if man had written this book, I don't believe this would have made it in here. So with this in mind, let's read our text this morning. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 66. It says, And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids, the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked uh, upon him and said, And thou also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch and the cock crew, just like Jesus had promised. Remember, he told Peter, He would deny him three times before the cock crowed twice. So he's already got one. He should have reminded him, but he didn't. Verse 69, it says, And a maid saw him again, and uh, and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little after they stood by him again uh, and said to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeth thereto. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom you speak. And the second time the cock crew and Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him. Before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We just come to you in the precious and lovely name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would help me, God, touch my throat, touch my voice. And God, just give me a window where I can preach. (laughs) And Lord, um, I just pray that You fill me, Your Holy Spirit, empty me of sin and self. And Lord, I just pray that You uh, put in their heart what You put in my heart, Lord. And uh, God, I'm preaching about a man that greatly failed You, but I understand that I'm preaching it as a man who has also failed You to a bunch of people who have also failed You. And so, Lord, I I just pray that wherever we are, Lord, you would take us where we are, reveal to us where we fall short. And God, show us that next step, whether it be salvation, trusting you uh, as Lord and Savior for maybe some that might be lost. Or God, maybe it's just trusting you or repenting of something that we have even done as a Christian. God, if there be any hidden thing and secret thing, Lord, within us, God, that you would reveal it. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would just uh, hide me behind the cross and that Christ would be magnified. And it's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. I'm preaching on the thought this morning. All things can be made right. All things can be made right. And I want to deal with the question, you know, how is that even possible? Uh, Especially in a situation like this, how could things possibly be made right when they've gone so wrong in our lives? When we failed so horribly, when we uh, betrayed the Lord, when we failed the Lord so horribly. And, you know, normally... In my outlines, I usually ask a question, and the answers to that question will be the points in my sermon. It's going to be a little bit different this morning in the sense of I'm not actually going to answer the question of how things can be made right until the very end. I'm going to have to build to that climax this morning because uh, before we can really even appreciate things being made right in our lives... I believe we have to come to the conclusion of how wrong things are. I have to really point out just how bad this situation is with Peter. I mean, we know it's bad, but I think it's worse than we might even know. And so the very first thing in building to this end that I want to point out, number one, is the character of Peter. Look at verse 66. It says, And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also was with this Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest." And when he went out into the porch, the cock crew. Now, the Gospel of Mark is not as detailed as Matthew and Luke. And, but I will say this, this particular story, this event, is in all four Gospels at least to some extent. Uh, Mark is not as detailed as Matthew and Luke, uh, but Mark's purpose, whenever you read Mark's gospel, you understand he is not just cutting out details for no reason. He is lasering in, focusing in on certain aspects of what he wants to communicate to us. And so in one sense, it's not less, it's actually more. He's just highlighting certain aspects of this event and other events and most specifically, Mark is trying to highlight and focus in on the contrast between Christ and Peter. We're going to look at that in more detail in point number two. And before we get to that contrast, it's important to point out uh, the, the character of Peter. And if you don't get this, nothing else is really going to make a whole lot of sense. I, w- I want to reiterate that Peter did this as a saved man. There would be people that would argue with that, but they would be wrong. And we know this for several reasons. I'll just point out a few. But, you know, Peter was saved from the moment that Christ pointed him out and said, come follow me. And he did. That that was the moment when he was saved. Did he have a full understanding of a Christ? No. Did any of them know? They didn't until the resurrection. But thank God we're not saved by our complete knowledge of who Christ is. We're saved by grace through faith, and the knowledge comes later. Um. Now, in John 13, we know that Peter was a saved man because when Jesus went to wash the disciples' feet, we find in John 13, verses 8 through 10, Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and feet and my head. Jesus said to him, he that is washed, neither not saved, but washes wash his feet, but is clean everywhere. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore he said, ye are not all clean. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, you're all mine except for Judas Iscariot. You're all saved. You're all clean except for Judas. That is exactly what Jesus said. Um, we also know that Peter was a saved man. Because his salvation is really seen again in Luke twenty-two verses thirty-one through thirty-two, uh, the Lord said unto him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail thee not. And when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. Now this is important to point this out. The word converted sometimes speaks of salvation, but sometimes all it means is a turnaround. That's all it means. And in this case, He's not saying, Peter, when you when you get saved, when you get born again, strengthen the brethren. He's saying, when you turn around from your failure, strengthen the brethren. And we say, where do you see His salvation there? Uh, by the fact that Jesus didn't pray or didn't say to Peter, when you come to the faith. He didn't say that. He said, I have prayed for you that your faith, present tense, fail thee not. And so I believe we see His salvation even in His zeal. Uh, for the Lord, uh, you know Peter bless his heart, I mean you know he did walk on the water with the Lord for at least a little while. Uh, he was very zealous, he got to see the Lord in his transfiguration, um, you know he cut malchus 's ear off to try to defend the Lord, and I mean if they 're handing out trophies for zeal without knowledge peter 's getting first place every time. Uh, he was a saved man when this happened, and so <coughs> Um, But here's, here's the contrast that's being made. This is what you have to get in Mark's message here. And that is that Peter was the best that mankind had to offer. The best that man had to offer. He walked with Jesus for three and a half years. He heard Him preach. He saw Him heal the sick. He saw Him raise the dead. I mean, all of these things that Peter was privy to. And even as a saved man, he was the best that the world had to offer. We we, Listen, we know that the Roman Gentile pagans, uh, we can't expect much from them. We can't expect much from the dead Jews, this religious crowd that the Lord said on the outside they keep the, sh- the, the cup shiny, but on the inside they're full of deadly poison. On the outside they're like whitewalled tombs, but inside they're full of dead men's bones. We can't expect anything from them. But here comes Peter as a saved man, having walked with Jesus and been exposed to all these resources, and yet he failed the Lord. This is the best that mankind had to offer and he still failed God. And what's so important to get about this is that we can look at Peter and know that if he failed the Lord like that, so can we. And if you ever get to a place where you think that you're above sin, you're above failing God, you're above falling, you better watch out because you're you're primed for falling. You're primed for it. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 10 and verse 12 says, Wherefore let him thinketh that he standeth. Take heed, lest you fall. Uh, even as Christians, we can fail Christ miserably. Uh, we can see this in Peter and know it can happen to us. So I find that you know, anytime that something happens in our life, um, whether it's a trial, whether it's a tragedy, Maybe it's that proverbial 3 a.m. phone call, that life-changing, life-shattering news, or whether you really mess up and fail God. I find that people do a whole lot better with those things if, they, if they're in tune with reality before those things happen. I know people that uh, get saved and they think that the Lord exists to give them health and wealth and prosperity, and they think that they're living for God, that nothing bad can ever happen to them. Those people are devastated. When bad things happen, because they didn't, they weren't in tune with reality when those things happen. And when people fall, when they fail miserably, when they mess up, I find they do better if they realize where they were in the first place. And that is a sinner saved by the grace of God, if you in fact have been saved by grace. And so, they, they can't seem to cope with it. They can't get over it. They, they can't seem to give it to God. They, they can't seem to allow God to get them past their past. And so they're just stuck in this forever rut of guilt and shame uh, for things that Christ already died for. And so, yes, we need to repent when you get those things right. But then we need to get over what we've already got under because our sin is under the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, this is not a license to sin. I, years ago, I think I mentioned this before, years ago, uh, probably been t- close to 25 years, and I still remember this. Uh, I, I was driving through Texas and I, <laughs> I um, came across a bumper sticker, uh, driving down the interstate that said, Jesus paid for our sin, let's get our money's worth. If that's your philosophy, you need to get saved. You need to repent. That's the freest, cheapest grace I've ever heard of in my life. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about legitimate people messing up. And Peter was saved and he messed up. But he got things right. We can fail the Lord. We can absolutely fail the Lord. That's important because now we're going to talk about the second thing this morning. And that is not only the character of Peter, but his contrast with Christ. Uh, Back up to verse uh, 53. It says, And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. And Peter followed him afar off, even into the palace of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself by the fire. Skip down to verse 66 again. And as Peter was beneath the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. Remember that phrase, maids of the high priest. It says that when Jesus saw Peter warming himself, (laughs) she looked upon him and said, "Thou also was with Jesus of Nazareth." But he denied, saying, "I know not." Neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch, and the cock crew. Now Mark's main emphasis, as I said, more so than the other gospel writers, is the contrast between Peter and his trial, because he's on trial here too, between Peter and his trial versus Christ and his trial. They were being tried essentially at the same time in different ways. Now, think about the comparisons and the con- contrast here. The Lord is before the Sanhedrin and Peter is before the mob. And I love this. David Garland said, As Christ was under fire, Peter was warming himself by the fire. <laughs> Listen at what J.C. Ryle said. This is why the maid is important. This really struck me. J.C. Ryle said, As Christ stood boldly before the high priest, Peter wilted before the maid of the high priest. (laughs) Think about that. Jesus is boldly standing before Caiaphas, the high priest, and the Sanhedrin, and Peter is wilting at the accusation of the maid of the high priest. And back then, um, it's just the way the world was, the way the culture was, a woman's word did not hold as much weight as a man's. This is yet another reason we know this is a God book, because who were the first people to see the empty tomb? It's Mary and Martha, wasn't it? That's one reason why a lot of people didn't believe them. I believe if a man had wrote this man would have found the empty tomb, and so you know back then, I guess they didn't think women knew anything. And today they we think they know everything. Amen. I'll I'll continue on. (coughs) J.C. Rouse said, As Christ stood boldly before the high priest, Peter wilted before the maid of the high priest. Uh, Prior to this night, Christ told his disciples on three separate occasions that he would be killed and three days later he would rise from the dead. And Peter has three denials, one for each gospel promise that Jesus made. While Christ is boldly speaking truth, Peter is lying and cursing. And not only is he cursing, but he is actually saying, in the context, what he's saying is, let a curse come upon me if I'm not telling the truth. Wow. Let me be cursed if I'm not telling the truth. Well, you're not telling the truth, Peter. You're lying. You did know Christ, you knew him well. Uh, another comparison. While the proudest animal on planet Earth is crowing, that being the rooster, the now most humiliated human on the planet is crying. While the rooster is crowing, Peter is crying. You ever, you ever heard that uh, phrase? He was strutting like a rooster. It's a proud creature. Well, Peter was proud too, until the cock crowed, till the rooster crowed, and now he's weeping. He's crying. Peter might have failed Christ, but. I'm so glad that Christ didn't fail God the Father and Christ didn't fail us. And the lesson here isn't to trust our goodness. It's not to trust our resume or our abilities, uh, but to trust in the one who can never fail. What a, what, a, what a contrast. And the best that man had to offer and Jesus Christ. We could never do it. <laughs> we could never save ourselves. We could never earn favor with God. We could never earn the approval of God or, or find forgiveness for our sins on our own. We cannot do it. You can't even be saved unless you come to that reality. You can't, you can't save yourself. That's why we need a Savior. The best that man had to offer failed miserably. We see that contrast in these two trials. But then thirdly, I've got two more. Thirdly, I want to talk about the conviction of sin here. Look at verse 72. It said, In the second time the cock crew, and Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him, Before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice, and when he thought thereon he wept. Now, I kind of want to paint the physical scene of where they are right now. I've actually been here. A lot of it is still preserved. Not the whole thing, but some of it. But if you think about being in an outer courtyard, it's not completely outside. There is a covering. There's, there's concrete. There's stone overhead, but the sides are open. Uh, in a very real sense, it would kind of be similar to a parking garage. It's You know how you have concrete overhead, but the sides are open? And so this is why it's cold. They're not completely inside, but they're... Uh, they're in this outer court that at least has a covering overhead. And the courtyard that, that Jesus is standing in, that the Sanhedrin is looking down upon Him, it's, it's in a lowered space. And the area around it is kind of elevated. So there kind of would have been uh, perch places. Not super high, but higher than Jesus was. And so uh, Peter is essentially standing next to this fire. And he's looking over the perch place down into this courtyard. And so they would have been pretty close in vicinity, even though they would have been on slightly different levels. And so Peter is watching this take place from the safety of the perch. And with that in mind, Luke's gospel account tells us that when the rooster crowed for the final time, Jesus looks up and his eyes meet with Peter's. Can you imagine? And the way that the Scriptures paint this picture... It's like as soon as the rooster crows for that last time, he looks up at that very moment. So he hears the rooster and he sees Jesus and the look on his face and he remembers. The Bible says he remembered the word that Jesus spoke unto him about how he would deny him. And can you imagine what that felt like for Peter? And can you imagine? I mean, as Christ is being led away to be beaten, mocked, stripped naked, nailed to a cross, have a crown of thorns mashed on His head, His eyes meet with Peter as He's headed to His death. And um, as I said, He remembered the Word. And, you know, this is amazing to me. And I I had this picture in my mind. Actually, when I went to Israel... Um, I've been to this very spot, the the general vicinity, and what's amazing is, um, you know, the tour guide is telling us this is this is where Peter denied the Lord. This is this is where it happened. We're we're very close to the house of Caiaphas, where the dungeon was in the basement. Um, we're very close to where Jesus stood before the Sanhedrin and where Peter denied the Lord. And he's really just—I mean, we had a fantastic tour guide. He was a he was a Baptist preacher, and I mean, he just. He was really good, and man, he was just painting, and it was just—I was hurting hearing it, st- knowing that that took place here. It's very serene, and and he kind of got quiet. It was one of those moments where everybody was just thinking about it, and and ta- kind of taking it in. And while we're standing there, we hear a rooster crow. It's the only time on the trip before or after that happened. But you got to understand, there's houses here. People have animals. They have livestock. And as we're thinking on that moment, we heard a rooster crow. And I remember i was standing next to my friend Patrick Howell, and I texted him about it this morning. I said, you remember when that happened? And, and when that happened, we just looked at each other, you know, and it just, I mean, just to think about that moment and, and what a failure that was and how horrible that was. And, and not only that moment, can you imagine what the next few days was like for Peter? Can you imagine the level of guilt with every, with every slap of the face of Jesus? With every hair that was pulled from His beard? with every lash of the whip of the cat of nine tails pulling the flesh off of Jesus, with every pound of the hammer that drove the nails, with every thorn that mashed into the brow of Jesus Christ, and then ultimately with his death, after hours of agony on that cross, he died, and then the spear goes into his side. With every bit of that, Peter had to feel guilt. And he had to feel, at least in some sense, personal responsibility for that. The one time that he actually should have spoken up, the one time where he should have defended Jesus and been a witness at his trial, the one time in Peter's life he should have spoke up, he kept quiet. Wow. The man who boldly proclaimed, Lord, I'm ready to follow you to death. And now he's cursing, even denying his name. Can you imagine that? I mean, we're, this isn't a fairy tale, folks. This really happened. Right. I've been to the place where this happened. And I, I just, I cannot imagine what that was like. The, the, the loneliness, the hopelessness, the guilt, the shame. And I, I wonder in my mind, in the days after the death of Christ, before his resurrection, those three days, can you imagine what the conversation was like among the disciples? Because, I mean, they failed him too. They ran away in his time of need. They just didn't deny him so blatantly like Peter did. Can you imagine what that conversation was like? I mean, they loved Jesus. There was no doubt in my mind. They loved Jesus. They walked with him for three and a half years. They loved him. Now they're grieving over him. And now they have to feel responsible for it. I don't imagine there was a whole lot of talking going on. I really don't. I think if you would have been with them, wherever they were, whether it was in a room, whether it was out in the wilderness, around a campfire, I don't know where they all went. But I don't imagine there was a whole lot of talking. I imagine you would have heard a lot of grown men weeping. Weeping. The hopelessness. The sobbing. They had all failed him. But this wasn't the end. I love this. I want to end with the climax this morning and how all things can be made right. And to do that, I want to get ahead in the narrative a little bit. And I want us to flip to Mark chapter 16. And we'll begin to come in for a landing. Mark chapter 16. <coughs> now, in the context, Mary and Martha have gone to the tomb. And they find the stone has been rolled away. And when they walk into the tomb, they see seated on Jesus' empty resting place, this angel. And here's what the angel says to them in verse 7. This is almost more than the mind can fathom. He says, Go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him as he said unto you. Do you notice that right there? The angel not only said, tell the disciples. That would have been sufficient as far as the information is concerned. But he said, tell the disciples and Peter. That's amazing to me. You know what that means? (laughs) It means that because he's alive, things can be made right. You know, if if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, Peter could have never made things right. Because you can't make things right with dead people. And you can't make things right with a dead God. And friend, I'm telling you, as far as getting things right with people, but Derek said it this morning, when we sin, technically, we don't sin against anybody but God. Now, our sin can hurt and harm other people, certainly. But our sin is against God. And if you need to get something right with people, you better do it. If you've got something to say, you better do it. My pastor, you say all the time, you better give roses while they're living because it doesn't mean near as much when you put them on the grave. You better give roses while they're living. And if the Lord had not risen from the dead, things could not be made right. But because He's alive, things can be made right. Amen. And for us today, what that means, because He is alive, things can be made right. Because even though Peter failed the Lord, we have failed the Lord. But because he's alive, things can be made right. Now, at first, I know Peter must have been terrified and embarrassed when he saw the Lord. Don't you know he was? I know he was. You can tell by his reaction in John. He was was scared. He was embarrassed. I mean, my goodness, uh, who wouldn't have wanted to seek revenge for somebody who had betrayed him in such a way? But you know what Peter and the disciples found? The Lord didn't say one angry word. Not one angry word. Not one word of condemnation. All they, When Jesus showed up, all they found was love and forgiveness and compassion. And in fact, the first time that Jesus appears to His disciples, the very first words that He says unto them is, Peace be unto you. Because He lives, things can be made right. And for the lost, what this means is, you can be freed and forgiven from the bondage of your sin, from the penalty and the power and the guilt and the shame and the weight of your sin. You can be forgiven for that. A dead God couldn't forgive you. But the one that died for our sin and rose from the dead, He can. For the lost, you can be brought into a right relationship with God. You can know the joy of the Lord. You can walk in forgiveness of the God that created you. Now, for the saved, maybe you fail, God. What that means is simply claiming 1 John 1, nine: If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, 1 John was written to my little children. It was from God to His children to the saved. Now, that doesn't mean that we lose our salvation and we have to keep getting re-saved. Uh, it goes back to what we talked about in John 13. If Jesus has washed us, we're saved. And the only thing that we need to do as we walk through this life and we get dirt on our feet is wash our feet. That has to do with sanctification. It has to do with our fellowship with God and not salvation. If you're saved, if you're born again, if you're a child of God, <laughs> there's nothing you can do to cause yourself to be unborn again. There's nothing you can do to unadopt yourself. There's nothing you can do to unmarry or divorce Christ. You can't do it. We're not holding on to Him. He's holding on to us. But as a saved person, we do need to be concerned with our fellowship with God. Is there any secret sin? Is there anything that we haven't given to Him and haven't laid down at the foot of the cross? And, man, people get to a place sometime, even saved people. They just can't get past their past. They act like they've done something that the Lord can or won't forgive or give them from. There's nothing that's, that makes us outside of the reach of the grace of God. Amen. And listen to this. Peter went on to serve the Lord boldly. There were thousands saved under his ministry. Even on the day of Pentecost, in one day, 3,000 people got saved. I'm so glad that in Christ, failure is not final. Failure is not final. You know, in the end, Peter sure did finish well. History tells us that even Christ told him this was going to happen to him. In the book of John, he, he told Peter how he was going to die. And at the end of his life, he was martyred. He was crucified upside down for preaching Christ. And by the way, history tells us that Peter requested to be crucified upside down. They were going to crucify him just like a normal criminal. He said, no, because I don't ever want to be compared with Jesus. I don't want my death to be compared with Jesus. Crucify me upside down. He finished strong. Failure's not final. And in closing, I'll say this. Uh, I want to point out another failure. Judas Iscariot failed Jesus too, didn't he? Judas wasn't saved. And what was the difference? Judas failed Jesus. So did Peter. But Judas hanged himself. He took his own life, whereas Peter repented. What was the difference between Judas and Peter? One word, repentance. Repentance. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of action. And by their actions, Judas said, I would rather die than repent. Peter said, I would rather die than fail Christ again. Are things right in your heart and in your life this morning? Is everything right between you and the Lord? If not, they can be made right. Because He's alive, because He lives, (laughs) all things can be made right. You know, we do need to strive to make things right with people. But the truth is, sometimes people won't forgive you. Sometimes they won't ever get over maybe some things that we did in the past. Maybe, maybe it's even a perceived wrong that maybe we did or didn't do. But here's the thing. Our forgiveness is not contingent upon their attitude toward us. It's all about being right with the Lord. And if you're right with the Lord, all those things have a way of dissipating in our mind and heart. Are you right with the Lord? Do you know, God, have you failed Him? Because He's alive, all things can be made right. If you would just repent and believe and trust Him and rest in Him and His finished work, you would find that peace and joy and satisfaction knowing Jesus. All things can be made right. Would you stand this morning as she comes?